Well, welcome to another week of This Week in Government Enforcement. Um, you got me this week. Uh, Tom is uh, indisposed and uh, uh, another co-host that I was supposed to have had an emergency hearing in Delaware, so you got me. Um, so we're gonna have some uh, fun today. We're gonna talk about a serious topic, but we're also gonna have some fun. And, and, and it, it has to do with hockey. Um, and uh, specifically for those who don't know, last week, uh, uh, the report by the uh, you know, well-known reputable law firm, General Block came out relating to um, allegations of historical um, uh, improper sexual misconduct in the Blackhawks organization. The report came out last week and it's really been the talk of the town and it's uh, been the talk of sports in the United States. Um, and what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna start out, you'll see I'm in my high school hockey jersey. We're gonna, since we got time and it's just me, gonna give you guys a little story about myself and it will segue into, hopefully you'll see the connection. Um, it, I'll segue into the story about um, uh, the Blackhawks uh, and, and it's, a, it's a far more serious natured story and one that I think um, is enlightening and insightful from a corporate uh, uh, compliance and from a corporate investigation standpoint. But just so we uh, start out from scratch. So I've, I've always played hockey. I'm a big hockey player. Hockey is an important part of, of my life. Uh, here is my family at the Hockey Hall of Fame. This is the Steve Eiserman, my favorite hockey player ever, his rookie card. I got that in Canada in hockey camp when I was in high school. It's been in my office ever since I started practicing. This is the picture that, or the, the print that my uh, friends from the SEC got me when I left. And you'll see it's the road to plutocracy. They're kind of making fun of me going from the, the government to uh, Darth Vader, Baker McKenzie. But what you'll see here is that it starts out, of course, with the Smiths, right? They knew they like Smiths and music. But then you'll see that it's a hockey stick. And there's Michigan State. You know, very much hockey and um, Michigan State are a big part of my life as is music. And the people who know me best sort of will always connect those. Um, so my senior year in high school, I went to Riverside Bright, Brookfield High School in um, the suburbs of Chicago. That didn't, they didn't have a hockey team. So my friend Brian Jakubowski and I, um, who was an amazing baseball player and equally amazing uh, hockey player, <clears throat> um, him and I had been sort of floating around for years looking for teams to play on. Um, hockey was not nearly as big, especially in the public school systems back in the 80s as it is now. Um, and my senior year, we finally found a school, Morgan Park, a city school on the south side of Chicago um, that, uh, 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 you know, historically had a team, but over the years due to socioeconomic changes at the school, didn't have nearly enough people in the school who had a desire or the ability to play hockey. So um, the school leveraged a rule, and we leveraged a rule that allowed um, students outside of that school to go play for that school if their teams did not have a hockey team. So myself and Brian being uh, students at Riverside Brookfield, we went and tried out for the Morgan Park hockey team as did a bunch of other um, kids who uh, were in the same position as us. And lo and behold, we made the hockey team. Um, I ended up playing, um, I ended up being the, the, um, the, the center on the team. Uh, and I also played center on power play and penalty kill. I was, I, I was the center for the team. I was a defenseman. Um, I told you this story is going to be funny, but it's also, you know, there, there's some instructive points. One Sunday morning, our games are always on Sunday. 
Um, I'm getting ready in the locker room. I'm putting on my, my uh, shin pads and I'm, I'm taping them up and all that, what you used to do. And our goalie walks in um, and our goalie could not stand. Um, our goalie had a long night the night before and frankly might have had a, you know, a long morning as well. It was a nine o'clock game, came in highly inebriated. Again, this was back in 1991, I think it was 91. Um, and the coach, uh, we were in the middle of a playoff run trying to make the playoffs for the first time in a long time for Morgan Park. The coach was obviously not happy and immediately reacted, who can play goalie? Um, uh, I raised my hand. And I said, I played goalie when I was in eighth grade. Um, and the, the coach said, well, you're our center. And my friend Brian said, I've seen him play goalie. He can play goalie. We played on the street hockey and all this stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out offense. We'll, we'll move some people around. Let Jerome play goalie. And this is the stick. This was my, the, the, the stick that I played goalie with. Um, those two games that I played my senior year in high school goalie against Lyons Township High School. We ended up winning the game. And you'll see this stripe here um, represents the one win um, that uh, I got. I, I never striped up the second one, but this stick hasn't really been touched. It hasn't touched the puck since 1991. But um, I remember during the game, um, my friend Brian always coming back. Now, I was defense, uh, or I was playing goalie. He was playing defense. He would come back and check on me every once in a while and say, hey, how you doing? You doing all right? Because obviously it was a stressful moment. I hadn't played goalie since I was in eighth grade. And lo and behold, I'm throwing in goalie in, 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 at the spur of the moment. We ended up winning the game. It was a great outcome. And then I played goalie again against Lions Township that next game. Um, but the fact is, is that, that there was a, um, you know, hockey is a, like any sport, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's sport of bonds and a sport of relationships. So you spend a lot of time with these people. Um, Brian and I also had dreams of going um, and, you know, going on and playing hockey somewhere else as most 17 year old boys do. They don't dream of being a corporate lawyer or most don't. Um, they dream of, uh, of going and being a, 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 a sports superstar or this or that. Um, and so I remember we had a plan. We were going to tell our parents that we were foregoing our freshman year in college. We were going to go try out and play hockey in Canada for a junior B program. Um, that plan was quickly scuttled by my parents wisely. So they said, no way in hell, you're not going to college, Jerome. You're going to college. So I entered Michigan State University in James Madison College studying international relations. And my friend Brian went to college on the West Coast. Um, but here's the catch. Um, I still had dreams of playing hockey. And so fall of 1991, <laughs> my parents shipped my hockey gear up to East Lansing, Michigan, so I could try out for the Michigan State hockey team. Two-day tryouts. <clears throat> and I remember um, being on the goal line <laughs> as then uh, head coach Ron Mason came out onto the ice. And he said something, I remember it like yesterday, hey guys, uh, our roster is all set. Uh, I'm having these, these tryouts because we have to under the NCAA rules, but our roster is all set. If you wanna stay, fine. If you wanna go, fine. Uh, but it's your call. And he then skated off. I never saw Ron Mason again until two, 10 years later in 2001, we'll get to that. I saw him go up in his office and he watched film or did whatever head coaches did. And then two assistant coaches came on and said, sticks down. They skated us for two hours straight. 
for two days. I've never felt like my heart's come closer to being out of my chest than those two days. But I stuck with it because I said I was going to stick with it. But I remember thinking at that time, Jesus, at least humor me. At least give me the, the view that I have a chance, even though I don't have a chance, right? But, but don't crush my spirits before I've even taken a single stride in the triumph. And I, I, and I remember in the tryout saying, if I ever get a chance to talk to Ron Mason, I'm going to tell him this story. And then 10 years later at a fundraiser at Michigan State or in Chicago for Michigan State, um, Ron Mason, who's then the AD, came down and I told him this story. And he, he had kind of a chuckle and sort of moved me on real quickly. Um, but um, here's the point, which is that coaches like managers in business often have a singular focus on putting the best product on the field or in a given market. In hyper-competitive sectors, the singular focus on success can be the difference between winning and losing. However, as we see from time, or we see time and time again, things said and decisions made years ago, if they're not properly dealt with then, can oftentimes have outsized consequences down the road. What am I talking about here? Well, last week's independent investigation report related to allegations in a, a civil lawsuit by John Doe, a former Blackhawks minor league hockey player, uh, uh, contained investigation findings relating to an alleged May 2010 sexual assault conducted by then video coach for the Blackhawks, Brad Aldrich, on uh, this, this individual, John Doe. Um, John Doe has subsequently come out and been identified or identified himself as Kyle Beach a former first round draft pick for the Chicago Blackhawks. It went Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, the two superstars of the Blackhawks. And then uh, uh, Beach was that next year's number one overall draft pick. I'll just quick talk about the summary of the factual findings. The report found that during May and June, 2010, the Chicago Blackhawks were in the NHL playoffs and route to the first Stanley Cup championship since 1961. And guys, I can't underplay. This was a huge deal in Chicago. The Blackhawks had been the longest championship drought of any team in the NHL. And, and you know, the, the, the Chicago was crazy about the Blackhawks. Um, uh, as part of the playoff run, Kyle Beach, John Doe, got called up from the minor leagues to be a playoff reserve player, uh, a position known as a black ace. Apparent, apparently, um, Brad Aldrich, um, the, the, the then um, video coach for the Blackhawks at issue in these allegations, um, was known to socialize with Blackhawk, Black, Black Ace players when the team was in Chicago and on the road. And there's testimony or, or, or reports in the, in the investigation report to this effect. Um, several Blackhawk or Black Ace witnesses also said that they believed that Aldrich had access to coaches and information that the black aces valued. Beach recalled co coaches encouraging him and other black aces to ask for video clips from Aldrich. Use Aldrich as a resource. Uh, a black ace player and a member of the 2010 Hawks lineup um, uh, recalled that uh, uh, Aldrich gave them advance notice and intelligence on the Blackhawks lineup for game days. And one player of the 2010 Blackhawks recalled that many players relied on Aldrich to tell them what coaches were thinking. So again, these are, these are young men who are waiting for their opportunity, right? They, they've been playing hockey since they could walk, skating since they could walk. They want this opportunity 
to crack the starting lineup for one of the original six organizations in hockey. Um, so the pressure to perform and frankly, the pressure to ally yourself with somebody who supposedly has the ear of coaches, it, it, it's, it's huge and it can't be understated for people, players who have been singularly focused since they were born, pretty much. Um, on May 8th or May 9th, 2010, <laughs> Beach had a sexual encounter with Brad Aldrich. The fact of the encounter and, and the, the exact details vary, but the fact that there was a sexual encounter and that it occurred at the video coach Brad Aldrich's apartment are uncontroverted. Um, the report uh, claims that Doe's memory or, or, or Beach's memory of the date uh, and the specifics around the event, as well as who was present during or at, around the time of the, uh, the, the assault has changed, has been inconsistent over time. Um, but in essence, Doe claims that he was the victim of non-consensual sexual contact by Aldrich. Aldrich denies it. A woman who was in the apartment with them that night, whether it's May 8th or May 9th, um, said that they apparently were playing strip poker and recalls um, engaging in contact with both individuals, but does not recall witnessing the two, the, the two gentlemen, Aldrich and Beach, having any contact with one another, any sexual contact with one another. Um, uh, uh, the report also includes evidence of advances made by Aldrich to another Blackhawks player during the same time. Look, at the end of the day, we may never really end up knowing what happened in the apartment um, and specifically about the, uh, the, the, the incident with, uh, with Aldrich and Beach. Um, but, but here's where this thing is going. In May of 2010, the Chicago Blackhawks were in the Western Conference Finals. So they, they had the playoff round right before they go to the Stanley Cup Finals, um, playing the San Jose Sharks for the right to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, Beach recalled that while in San Jose, um, he spoke with, uh, with, a, uh, with a representative of the Blackhawks, um, the Blackhawks skating coach, Paul Vincent, and told Paul Vincent of the incident. Um, the report also contains further details about others learning about the incident between Doe and Aldrich, or Beach and Aldrich. Anyway, um, on May 23rd, 2010, the Chicago Blackhawks beat the San Jose Sharks in four games to go to their first Stanley Cup finals since 1992. By the way, also my freshman year in college. Uh, in hopes of winning the first Stanley Cup since 1961 in Chicago, the longest drought in the NHL. I'm a lifelong Blackhawks fan. This was a huge deal. Here's what happens after game four. Blackhawks are going to the Stanley Cup. Everyone is so happy within the organization, understandably. So a meeting occurred in um, John McDonough, the, 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 the president of the Blackhawks office, um, in this front office of the United Center, which is where the Blackhawks play. Um, participants included Jim Gary, Stan Bowman, Al McKissick, John, John McDonough, Kevin um, Chevrolet Jay Blunk, they were present. Then the participants also recalled during the meeting uh, that lasted about 10 or 25 minutes. Um, and then after the meeting started, uh, uh, Stan Bowman recalled that uh, John McDonough uh, said that Quinville should participate because the incident involved Aldrich, who was a coach. Um, Quinville was subsequently called to the front office to join the meeting. 
Um, and Quinville um, stated that he was called to meeting McDonough's office and thought it was unusual when he was interviewed. He said it was unusual because the game had just ended. Um, uh, and so during that meeting, the, the, the incident is discussed. Um, the, the incident between Aldrich and, uh, and, uh, and Beach was discussed. Accounts vary about exactly what happened during that meeting, but it's fairly clear that the fact of um, potential sexual contact between a superior and a subordinate occurred and was discussed in this meeting. And it's also fairly uncontroverted that there's a sexual harassment policy, the Blackhawks, which required that allegations of sexual um, abuse or, or uh, um, improper conduct in the, in the workplace be investigated promptly. Um, so that was on, let me go back real quick. That was on May 23rd, 2010. By all accounts, from everything I can see in the report, there was no, no meaningful investigation or looking into this between or, or after May 23rd until sometime in June. On June 9th, in overtime, I remember exactly where I was on the edge of my couch, about two feet away from the TV, on a shot kissed by an angel. The American first-round draft pick, Patrick Kane, sent a puck through the Philadelphia Flyers goalie's legs, and the Hawks won the Stanley Cup Finals. I stayed up and watched the game, shouted, woke up all three of my kids and my wife. I then went outside and yelled at the top of my lungs with my neighbors. Again, this was a huge deal. Um, at this point, however, even though the Hawks top brass knew about the incident, um, generally at the very least about the incident, um, it had not been formally reported to uh, human resources. Um, again, that, that is a critical aspect here. So they learn about it. Um, uh, on the 23rd of May, yet all throughout the Stanley Cup finals, uh, it's not reported to human resources. Um, according to the former director of human resources, um, on June 14th, John McDonough, Hawks president, John McDonough, called the HR director into his office and told her that he learned of an incident a few weeks earlier involving Aldrich and that it involved drinking and Aldrich hitting on or making a sexual advance um, on John Doe at an offsite apartment. The uh, then uh, director of HR uh, also recalled McDonough describing the meeting uh, in the United Center front office after game four that involved uh, McKissick, Bowman, Gary, and Quenville. Uh, critically, the director of human resources, then director of human resources, said that uh, McDonough told her that during the meeting, the group decided not to alert human resources or outside legal counsel and not do anything about the incident during the playoffs so as to, quote, not to disturb team chemistry. Um, uh, the director of human resources further recalled that McDonough told her that the group decided to keep the alleged incident among themselves for the duration of playoffs and that they would address the issue as soon as possible after the season. Um, uh, th there's some discussion during the report comparing the size of Beach and, uh, and Aldrich. Um, by all accounts, Aldrich is, a, is, a, is a, a gentleman of smaller stature, I believe the 5'9", um, with weight commensurate with that is a fairly slight guy. Um, uh, a beach, on the other hand, is everything you might imagine of an NHL forward. 6'3", 203 pounds. 
Um, I played hockey, hockey players. Um, I, uh, I, you know, there, there's, there's one group of people I don't want to fight. It's a six, three, 200 pound hockey player. That's pretty much my, my worst nightmare. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and so, right. But there, there, there is, there are, there are discussions within the report that, um, that, you know, uh, that uh, um, McDonough said that John Doe was physically larger than Aldrich. And that when uh, McDonough, um, uh, so, so the director of human resources remember, remembers McDonough saying the fact that Beach was much larger than Aldrich. And when interviewed, McDonough made the same comment as saying that it was hard for him to imagine non-consensual sexual encounter between Beach, um, who McDonough believed to be 6'3", 230, pounds in 2010 and Aldrich who McDonough believed to be about five, six, 130 pounds in 2010. Um, and so then after the meeting with human resources, there was also a meeting with Aldrich, the then director of human resources and Blackhawks outside council um, in which uh, Aldrich was given the option to undergo an investigation or resign. Aldrich chose to resign and according to the report, no, investigation was conducted. And that's the critical part, was that there are, in, in the midst of a, of, of a momentous run, I, I, I can't say anything other, right? I still get chills thinking about it. There was an issue in the ranks of the Blackhawks that required investigation under the policy. Serious, serious allegations of criminal misconduct. Um, now, who knows whether, what happened, right? We're not here to, to litigate that, but, but there were allegations. And yet there was no investigation and Aldrich was apparently allowed to resign um, without any further note or comment in, um, in his, in his uh, personnel file. Um, the report notes something that I, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't note here, um, that in his final performance evaluation, which was dated June 29, 2010, again, after Aldrich was separated from the team sometime you know, around the 16th of June, I believe, is when the separation at around that time took place. <laughs> um, but it's unsigned by Quinville. Um, Quinville wrote, Aldrich, quote, Aldrich did a great job for the coaching staff in preparing us for all of our meetings and coordinating several tasks that we forward his way. Brad has several people relying on, on him at the same time, and he would, and he has a way of deflecting and accommodating everyone at once. Congrats on winning the Stanley Cup! Exclamation point. End quote. Um, Quenville, in his interview, said that he didn't call. He didn't recall um, whether he wrote the the June 29, 2010 evaluation, or if he knew Aldrich had been separated at that time. But he didn't dispute that he may have written the evaluation, and that he said that the review looked like something that he would write. Well. Let's now move on to after the separation. Um, after Aldrich is separated um, from the Blackhawks, he uh, becomes a volunteer hockey coach uh, for, uh, at a high school in Houghton, uh, uh, Michigan. In October 2013, um, Aldrich was arrested and charged in Houghton, Michigan with third and fourth degree sexual conduct involving uh, and in December 2013, Aldrich pled guilty to fourth degree criminal sexual conduct involving a minor. Um, and in 2014, Aldrich was sentenced to serve nine months in jail and five years of probation. This is from the, the, the investigator's report. Um, 
And according to press I've seen, it, it, it appears that this individual, um, it, it, it's some, there, there might be some connection to the, the, the hockey program that um, Aldridge was coaching um, at or working at. Um, the report also noted that after leaving his employment with the Blackhawks, Hawks, Aldridge went on to work and volunteer at USA Hockey, the University of Notre Dame, Miami University of Ohio, and the Houghton High School. <laughs> um, none of the witnesses, according to the report, um, that they interviewed called anyone at the Blackhawks providing a written or verbal reference for Aldrich to his future employers. And Aldrich um, said that he did not list any Blackhawks employees as references on job applications, nor did he ask anyone from the Blackhawks to vouch for him or to make any calls on his behalf. But again, um, you know, the sort of what is there is that the 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 failure to investigate it again. It, we're not alleging a causal connection here, but subsequent to um, Aldridge being separated from the Blackhawks, um, there was a subsequent um, non-consensual sexual encounter with a with a minor that ultimately uh, ended up being pleaded guilty um, um, by by Aldridge, and he ended up spending. Uh, time in jail for it. So again, it, 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 it does raise questions about um, had something been done sooner and been reported, investigated and reported sooner, perhaps there could have been some stopping this, uh, the, the subsequent incident in Houghton, Michigan, not saying it could or couldn't have, but again, these are the things that are coming up in this report that frankly, the people are talking about. Um, and so uh, again, sort of in concluding, uh, what the report says, the report, it, it's not clear what happened in the apartment uh, in May 2010, uh, uh, nor the details of what exactly happened, um, nor the details of what happened exactly what was said at the May 23, 2010 meeting of the Blackhawks press. But the report concluded, quote, what is clear is that after being informed of Aldrich's alleged sexual misconduct and misconduct with a player, no action was taken for three weeks. <laughs> One witness recalled that the decision on how to proceed was left in McDonough's hands. And another witness recalled McDonough saying he would speak to John Doe. Uh, McDonough did nothing to address the allegations until June 14th when he reported the information to the Director of Human Resources. While there's a lack of recollection as to whether anyone else present in the meeting besides McDonough needed to or likely would take any additional steps, nothing was done by the other senior leaders to address the situation. As a result, the Blackhawks' own sexual harassment policy, which required investigation of all reports of sexual harassment to be conducted, quote, promptly and thoroughly, was violated. The failure to promptly and thoroughly investigate the matter and the decision to take no action from May 23 to June 14th had consequences. During that period, Aldrich continued to work with and travel with the team. Aldrich engaged in an unwanted sexual advance on a Blackhawks intern, physically grabbing the intern in a sexual manner. And Aldrich continued to participate in team activities and celebrations in the presence of John Doe. Even after the allegations were finally reported to the Director of Human Resources, still no investigation occurred and Aldrich was permitted to resign his position and continue participating in Stanley Cup victory events, close quote. So again here, um, while this isn't a true white collar investigation, the parallels um, are, there clearly are parallels. 
Um, you know, I mean, one one thing that we you you see and you hear not only in the in the, in the white collar corporate investigations world, but also obviously here is the pressure to not investigate due to fear of disrupting chemistry or attracting negative attention. Right, that's obviously one thing. That's one element of both uh, you know Department of Justice and SEC guidance, which is you have to have a proactive compliance program um, and becoming aware of allegations of misconduct and not investigating them um, are, are you know, you know, can result in in more serious sanctions in the white collar side, but also obviously have had in, in incredible negative consequences in in this investigation as well. Um, imperfect memories and lack of clear evidentiary records upon which to make a firm uh, factual conclusion about the underlying conduct. Again, um, the, these cases often rely on where it's not document heavy witness memory. And, the, and the, these, these, the, the, sometimes recollections can be five, seven, in this case, roughly 10 years old. They're imperfect. And what investigators are left with is, is collecting a mass of interviews and finding if there are, you know, common themes or um, or threads in the the different narratives shared by different or or offered by, by the different employees, um, uh, using biased perceptions to explain away conduct, right? I mean, th this one, right? That the fact that somebody is 6'3", 230 pounds, um, and that 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 the fact that that person is six three and the other person is five six alone explains away the likely of a non-consensual incident. Look, I get it. I get why someone might might view that, but those are biased perceptions. Um, and you don't know what's going on in the um, alleged victim's mind. Um, uh, you know, certainly, you know, there are there are peculiarities of the sport of hockey um, where uh, where uh, young uh, boys and girls are oftentimes sent away to junior programs away from their parents at early ages that, that, that makes something like this um, less strange than if someone was raised with their family, with their mother and father or other family members or guardians that, that had a clear connection with them up until they're 18 and 19 years old. Um, organization, or you know, the theme here, organizations get another theme. Organizations can oftentimes be more damaged by an ongoing failure to address or investigate matters than the underlying conduct. Um, that's a big one here. Um, because, uh, you know, uh, again, this is Monday morning quarterbacking to use a sports analogy in a sports context, but um, to, to, we'll never know how the public would have reacted had this come out uh, or been addressed in some way or fashion back in May or June of 2000. Um, but but um, one view might be that given that the massive amount of goodwill um, that the city had towards the Blackhawks, that they were the toast of the town. They were bringing the cup all over the city, Wrigley Field, et cetera. Um, uh, had the Hawks taken a stance back then, you don't know what the collateral damage would have been. But what we have now is these allegations are coming out um, and the report is coming out in the context of uh, uh, an organization that is, is um, by my perception, having a hard time attracting um, fans, you know, given that their, their, their team has started out in, in, a, uh, in a slump to begin the season. Um, but more critically, um, 
you know, the, the organization has for years been defending um, their use of Chief Blackhawk, the logo on the front of the Blackhawks uniform, um, and has taken a position that uh, it, it is not derogatory. In fact, it's, it, it's an indication and a, a sign of homage to um, the Native American um, tribes that used to inhabit the Illinois Midwest region. Um, again, I'm not taking a position on that, but, but I think um, it is harder, and, and they've been bending over backwards to pay homage to Native Americans this year, um, because I believe in large part because they are trying to extend uh, an olive branch of goodwill to those constituencies who can help support the continued uh, employment of the Chief Blackhawk logo. But again, where you're fighting that battle and you're fighting attendance woes, um, and now you have to fight allegations that the organization um, didn't address promptly allegations of sexual misconduct when they were um, uh, elevated to the highest levels in the organization, although the report also finds there's no evidence of knowledge of ownership, but it rose to the highest levels of the management of the organization. It, 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 it's challenging, right? It, it adds a not one layer of complexity, a number of layers of complexity, given now that you're fighting a two-front battle on the logo, more than two-front logo <laughs> business, and also now on uh, uh, on, on the perceptions that arose from this report. So again, um, I, and I did this. This is should be, you know, should not be taken as any criticism of the Blackhawk organization. More, it's a, um, I think a, a a lesson that you know, as matters arise, oftentimes there's no best better time than the present to deal with it, um, because um, you know, oftentimes when you get a clear evidentiary record. <laughs> You, you are in a stronger position to assess credibility of witnesses and make a firm decision and move on and not have it linger. But, but as things linger, um, not only is the evidence, does the evidence become less reliable, which oftentimes makes making decisions harder, um, but it, it, it also um, calls into question uh, how committed a, a, an organization or a company was to actually investigate these things. And, and, and that can be the thin end of the wedge, especially in corporate internal investigations, that um, uh, frankly can be the far more difficult issue to address as compared with the actual underlying misconduct. So again, um, this report came out last week. I wanted to talk about it. To be clear, we're, I'm not saying anything happened or didn't happen. I'm, I'm not taking a position on any of that, but um, I felt it was too important from a, a lesson standpoint, right? Employing the quote, real world of, of sports into a corporate internal investigation standpoint. I felt there were, there were a number of parallels, um, but also enough differences that you can kind of compare and contrast and, and maybe learn some broader lessons, not necessarily, you know, just by going to corporate conferences and seeing what this pro or that pro says on what the DOJ or the SEC are saying about compliance programs, but seeing how it sort of works in, in real life, in a place outside of a, a true corporate um, investigation structure. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed preparing for it. Um, uh, encourage you to look at the report. I warn you, it's graphic. Um, the report raises more questions than it answers in many places. Um, so, which is why I wanna be careful to not say what I think the truth is here. Um, but, but I do think there's one element of truth, which is, um, you know, th th this came down to the timing of an investigation of a response, and that ultimately is what led to uh, not only the uh, 
the, the, the separation of Stan Bowman from the Blackhawks on the day the report was released, but also um, uh, the, uh, the, the yeah, Joel Quinville being separated from his current organization, as well as one other um, of, of the coaches with the Blackhawks that's now with the former organization. So this has had ripples and repercussions outside the Blackhawks. So again, that's another lesson as well as that it could come back to bite you, even if you were no longer within the organization that was actually impacted by the underlying misconduct. So with that, I'm out of here. Um, take care guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.